Amen. Sweet. Hey, how's it going? So my name, for those who don't know me, my name is Asif. Uh, there's no need to do last name, is there? We're, in, we're like, we're past that. Uh, Asif Cueto, just in case y'all didn't know. I uh, am the creative director, sorry, creative, I'm not even sure what's the difference there, to be honest with you, but it's creative pastor uh, here at the church. And um, yeah, I just want to welcome you to Legacy uh, on behalf of our pastors, senior leaders, uh, Pastor Lyle and Allison Phillips. Um, we are delighted that you're here this morning. Delighted. Um, so I just want to really quickly, uh, just because uh, that was just up there and no one, I mean, it's a nice story and maybe you, it might have emoted some feelings in you. But what I wanted to say is that uh, Legacy Stories is something we're going to begin doing, um, basically filming testimonies to a degree. Uh, people uh, in this house have a long, in the, in the same language as Legacy, there is a long uh, heritage in this house specifically, and in our families in this um, church environment. So I just want to be um, as open as I can to invite people to speak into our house and uh, record it. Because I believe, uh, listen, if we do a good job, something about, if we do a good job recording our history, I don't know. I feel like our future is, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 I feel like it builds on and on and on. So I think if we do a good job recording history, we have a good, a good set of future ahead of us, if that makes any kind of sense. I don't know why, but that just, it just makes sense to me. Anyway, Jesus. Okay, cool. Um, well, thank you, Jesus, that you're here. Awesome. Listen, um, I am, uh, going to speak for the next 30 or so minutes on, um, a very, very common common chapter in the Bible. It's Luke chapter, chapter 15. It is when Jesus talks about three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And we're going to tie that off together, and we're going to see where our story lies in the middle of all that, if that's okay. We good? Yeah. Okay, church, we're the 11 a.m., yep. so that means we've been awake for a little bit longer, so that means we can get a little bit, you know, just, just a little bit looser. Is that all right? Yeah. Is looser a word? Yes, it is. Sorry, that didn't sound. English is my second language, so we're just going to go ahead and I'm going to. Oh, whenever I say something wrong grammatically, I'm like, English is my second language, guys. Like, leave me alone. Lingus is your first, and you still make the same languages. I used to make the first. Again, ESL. Jesus. All righty. Cool. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> this uh, message is called Whose Party Is It Anyway? Okay. Um, and, uh, it's honestly, when I was coming up with it, I felt, uh, I've, and you guys remember whose line is it anyway? Yeah. That show was just hilarious. That was my all time, all time faves. Uh, so I, I decided to, uh, do a play on words there and, um, you know, go for it. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Is that okay? Yes. Church, I'm going to need you to respond. Yes. We're, we're going to pray. Awesome. If this is your first time in church, second, third, whatever, listen, all I, I'm going to tell you is that we are a church who responds. This is a dialogue to a degree, except let me talk. So that's about, that's about all I ask, you know. Um, but uh, let's pray. Jesus, baby's falling under the presence of God. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your grace. God, you are absolutely scandalously good to us. And God, open our eyes to see such. Open our eyes to see where you are working in the middle of, of, of just where we think you're not. God, thank you so much, Lord, that, um, that you actually are better at leading than we are at following. 
And so God, we, we, we bless your name for that. And your son's incredible name we pray. In your son's incredible name we pray. There you go. You know what's funny is that the 9 a.m. is full of like moms and dads, like really young moms and dads. And they're louder than y'all, folks. Come on. They've had less sleep than all of you. And they are louder. Um, Okay, listen. Oh, also, I forgot to pray for the Warriors to win tomorrow. Forgot about that. Jesus, you heard my prayer. Also, the Preds tonight. Amen. Let's even up the series in Jesus' name and then close it out the next. Father, I'm, I was about to pray again. So listen, I have, uh, um, during the end of the year, uh, there's something called Christmas. Yes, we all aware. Um, so during Christmas time, listen, I was born in a big, big family. My mom has eight brothers and sisters. My dad has, sorry, it's backwards. My mom has seven. My dad has eight. So we have a large, large family. And so whenever we get together, um, it is quite, quite a large gathering. Um, I grew up, you know, since I was maybe as, as early as I can remember. How old do you remember? It's like four, five, six years old. Um, I remember getting to, to my Christmas party with my family. And everyone in my family, whether it's cousins, uncles, aunts, everyone is musical. Um, my grandpa is one of those like hardcore patriarchs where like he'll stand up and bless the food. He'll stand up and like dedicate a baby the moment it's born. It's like, that's the kind of grandpa I have. And so uh, every single one of his kids actually plays music. They're, they're instrumentalists or they sing. And so my, my Christmas situation looks kind of like this. You get to the door, huge, there's always tons of people there. Um, distant cousins you didn't even like hey like your mom's like hey this is your cousin and you're just like never have I ever seen you you're an acquaintance and if you're cool enough you will be a cousin because all my cousins were cool um not funny sorry uh and so we got there and it was a blast there was food there was there was music playing in the background and and once everyone was kind of like in conversation about three-fourths of the way in my grandpa would get up and say okay okay everybody it's time to get together and do what we actually came here to do. And so in comes a, 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 a session, if you will, of worship, lyrics, hymns, music. Whether it was my cousin or my uncles or aunts on, on certain instruments, or they're all singing like four or five part harmonies, we're all together beginning to worship. And we sing, oh, come let us adore him. And it, it turns into a worship service. It's wild. And uh, I, that's the kind of environment I grew up in. And, and when I, when I, as soon as I, I, I just remember Christmas time feeling like a celebration, an actual like celebration of, of song, of loud, of, of good food. And it just felt like, man, this, this is incredible. I remember leading up to it, I always, I always asked my mom like, who, whose house are we going to be at this year? Where's the celebration going to happen? And, um, and so I just remember that feeling of celebration. And I remember thinking, man, like this, this has to be a great picture of what home should feel like. I should come home to a celebration. I remember thinking like the expectancy in my heart for this party, for this celebration was, it extended months back. And I remember thinking this this is exactly how church should be. 
church should be a place where you immediately know you can sing on the songs. Even if you don't know the lyrics, you can come in and join in worship. The funny thing is that we used to sing songs that I didn't even remember singing. But how many of you guys know if you can't sing the lyrics, you can, you can, hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Funny thing is, we all know that song, right? But, uh, but it, it, was, it was just such a, a powerful experience. And so I find that the Bible is littered. That's a bad word. It, the Bible is, is, has a plethora of parties all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament. You have years of Jubilee where it was, a, it was absolutely necessary, almost a God commandment to celebrate. Isn't that crazy? And so here you have like throughout the entire Old Testament and then the New Testament happens and then you have Jesus and the first time he ever steps on the scene with miracle signs and wonders is at a wedding celebration, at a party. And all throughout his ministry in, in, in the Bible, you have him consistently partying with people. And here, I'm going I'm to describe a situation here where in Luke chapter 15, that's where we're going to base today's message off of, of three different parties. And we're going to dive into these three different parties. And maybe we're going we're gonna to analyze Luke 15 in a way that you probably haven't before. Um, again, we all know those three stories, especially the one with the lost son, which we all know is a prodigal son. But I'm going to dive into it in a way that hopefully identifies with all of us and it's actually able to give us a clear picture of what I feel God wants to speak this morning or this afternoon by one minute. Um, this afternoon, and uh, what I actually feel like um, God is going to mold, fashion our, our church. Is that all right? Is that okay? So Luke chapter 15, here we go. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 15. If you don't, uh, get with someone who does. Maybe, never mind. I was going to like encourage you guys to find a girlfriend, but that's not, it's not a thing. Anyway, Luke 15. This is going to be a series of awkward moments. It's going to be okay though, okay? Because we're all going through this thing together. Luke 15, here we go. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. I'm going to read this one more time. Bless you. Now, the tax collectors. Now, Luke is a doctor, okay? Let me just, the writer of the, of the Gospel of Luke, is a, is, he's a doctor, and is, he's very, in comparison to the other Gospels, he's very detailed in his reports. Doctor, medical background. Ready? So he says, now the tax collectors and the sinners, and that is just his way, his language of saying bad people. People who wouldn't normally be going to a synagogue. Does that make sense? Are we alive in the room? Yes. Okay. It's more like it. Drawing near to him, these people were drawing near him, and then the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes is his way of generalizing religious folk, people who are in the synagogue, rabbis, Sadducees, Pharisees. And so all these people begin to talk and grumble and whisper amongst themselves like, hey, Jesus attracts all the wrong people, Right? And then they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we tell them a parable. Now, just really quickly, back then, these homes uh, during the Jewish tradition, they didn't have small windows. They had large windows. And so whenever you, whenever you uh, invited someone over, if you had, 
whenever you invited someone over, it was very, very easy for people to be walking by and look and see that you're having dinner with someone. And a matter, as a matter of fact, in the Jewish culture, having a meal with someone represented you are openly in a relationship with them of friendliness, of authenticity, of vulnerability, of here, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting you at my table and we are, you are my guest and I honor you and, and this is how we do life together. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as, as, as uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people of the day were passing by, they can then see Jesus sitting at the table with this bad people, openly eating with them, publicly displaying Jesus' affection, interest, and interaction with, quote-unquote, bad people. Does that make sense? Um, and so as the, the, the Pharisees were, were talking uh, to one another and, and, and grumbling and saying, like, this man, he, he attracts all the wrong people. And, and this is, you know, th- these aren't synagogue people. These aren't clean people. These are all the bad people. They began to grumble amongst themselves. And just really quickly, Pharisees were okay with bad people. They were okay with sinners as long as you repented. As long as you cleaned yourself up before Sunday morning, put on your spiritual cosmetics and were like, boom, I'm good. I'm right here. And so they were were totally fine with it. And a lot of people, you would read that and you're like, oh man, the Pharisees, they just hated uh, uh, bad people. No, it wasn't about that at all. It was the fact that they were uncomfortable with associating with them because in that day, if a, bad, if a bad person, a sinner touched you, then you became unclean. And this is why we have the perfect juxtaposition where Jesus comes down from the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down and touches the leper and by tradition and by Jewish law, he would then become ceremonially unclean. But then Jesus goes and touches this leprous man and then he immediately becomes clean. Jesus is literally the parabolic example to the questions that the Pharisees were grumbling about. Why does this man include all these people in his ministry? That makes no sense to me. And here we have Jesus. The funny thing is Jesus, in his language, he says, the Bible in Luke uh, chapter 15, it says, after they were grumbling, he received sinners and, and eats with them. The Bible says this, so he told them a parable. How many of you guys know that that's like a mic drop moment where like God's about, to, you know, he like fixes his tie. He's just like, all right, let's do this thing. You know, <laughs> at least that's the way I interpret it. I might be wrong. So he begins to tell a story. He already is the parabolic life personification of the answer to that question, but he breaks it down so that they can understand in three different facets of one story. The first is the lost coin. So, sorry, the first is the lost sheep. Thank you. In the lost sheep, do we all know the story? I'm going to break it down really, really quickly for you guys. So there is 99 sheep. There's 99 of them. Sorry, there's 100 of them. One sheep loses track of the herd and goes and dozes off, right? How many of you guys know? I mean, I'm not sure if you actually know this, but the necks of the sheep aren't, you're not allowed to turn. Physically, sheep aren't allowed to turn sideways. They're not allowed to look. They stay right here. And the funny thing is when you shepherd a herd, I am no, by no stretch imagine, like of the imagination, a shepherd, anything like that. Um, but, uh, well, I guess, pastor. Anyway, 
but not a physical one to the point where I'm describing sheep behavior like I am not that guy. Actually, just kidding. I have a herd of sheep in my backyard in Nashville. We do wool. Anyway, come by anytime. Petting zoo, the whole thing. Um, anyway, so, so here's the, the sheep that literally the only job of a sheep is to be herded by a shepherd. And, and they literally follow each other's butts all the time. So like the way you would actually get lost is like you, the way you, sorry, the way you would hurt sheep is everyone's looking together and they're all looking at each other's behinds and kind of following where the shepherd's going. They really don't know what's going on really in front of them because they're all herded together. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this picture before. Um, but what happens is this one dumb sheep, by the way, dumb sheep loses himself, herself, itself, however PETA, I'm sorry. Um, so they like, they find themselves lost, like completely lost. And so the pastor goes and leaves the 99. The language in chapter 15 of Luke says he left the 99 in the wilderness. Wow. The funny thing is that in my mind, I'm thinking whenever I read that before, I would think like, no, he got the 99 and he put, as a matter of fact, in my like Bible, my little, um, beginner's Bible that I used to have, like there was a picture of the shepherd and he had all the, sh- the sheep inside of the, of the, in, yeah, the fence. That's the one. Anyway, and so the Bible says that he left them in the wilderness and he leaves the 99 and goes for the one. How many of you guys know that's completely illogical and makes zero sense? Yeah. You're literally going away to find one sheep who got lost and you're okay with leaving the 99 in the wilderness. Okay. We're fine. How, how many of you guys know that makes no absolute sense? It, it, it doesn't make sense. And so he finds a sheep. The story goes, he finds a sheep, calls his friends and says, hey, guys, we're throwing a party. And, uh, and, and, and come out, come like, come one, come all. We're all going to throw a party. And uh, we're going to celebrate that this one sheep that was lost is now found. How many of you guys know that back in the day when you threw parties, you, you slaughtered a lamb? It's hilarious to me that like the lamb that he went to go find probably ended up the one being slaughtered or one of his cousins or one of his brothers. Tell me how that makes any kind of sense. He leaves in 91, 99, goes for the one, comes back and is like, let's have a party. One of your brothers, let's go. You know, and, he, and, and there's a party. So that like in my mind, it doesn't make sense. It's completely illogical. Then you have the story of the lost coin. The lost coin, there is a woman, I'm going by really quickly just because number one, we don't have time. Number two, I'm literally talking about the entire chapter here. So we're just gonna go with me. If you want to read along, it's in uh, Luke chapter 15. And so the lost coin, you have this woman who is, uh, who has 10 coins and one of the coins gets lost in her house. That's very important. Gets lost in her house and She's going around trying to find this one coin. And the Bible says, uses this language. She kind of like overturns tables, moves around couches, dining tables. She flips her whole house upside down to try to find this one coin. How many of you guys know? I mean, I, at, least, at least I, if I lost a coin in my house, I'd be like, it's cool. Like, I'm going to find it. Plus, I'm going to be surprised later. It's going to be great. 
My girlfriend tells me, she's like, dude, like, make sure you, like, get all your stuff together. Like, don't lose anything. And I'm like, I'm actually okay with losing things. Because if I do, if I leave it in, like, in a pair of pants or a pair of shorts or a jacket or something, then I can put the jacket on or the shorts on there. I'm like, oh, I'm just fixing my pockets, or, you know, as you do when you put on pants. Um, and then you're just like, oh, my gosh, I have 20 bucks. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm more of that kind of vibe. And so whenever I, I, I lose something, I'm like, it's okay. But this person, this woman, overturned her entire house to find this one coin. She finds the coin, and again, in similar story to the previous one, because remember, it's the same thing. Calls her friends and says, hey, come over, we're throwing a party. You know what's crazy about that? She probably spends the nine coins that she had in her purse anyway to throw the party. Isn't that wild? Like, does that make sense? It's like, it really is completely illogical. And I think to myself, like, wow. This woman searched everywhere, found a coin, and not only probably spent that one coin, but she probably spent a lot of coins to throw a party for this one thing. It's... And, and if you begin to track with this parable, it literally doesn't make any sense. Does anyone make sense of that at all? Tell me how that would be your behavior on a daily basis. Would you? Finally, the last one, and probably the most famous that we're all accustomed to, and we've all heard maybe multiple times, is the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. So we have, I'm going to break it down for you in case you haven't heard it. We have a, a, a father who, who has a dumb son who says, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Because how many of you guys know to have inheritance money, someone has to die first? Correct. And so this person wishes that his father was dead and says, hey, give me what I have now and I'll, and I'll leave. I'll, I'll be out of your hair. Dad willfully says, okay, here, have your inheritance. This dumb son goes into some really awful area, I don't know where, um, and spends all of his money, all of it, in stuff that doesn't have any value. And so he spends all of his money and the Bible says there was a famine in the land where he actually begged for a job because he had no more money and he was feeding uh, pigs. The Bible says that as he was feeding pigs, the food seemed tasty to him. So then he had a moment where he came to himself and he said, man, like not even my father's servants have this like trashy food. If I go back to my, my dad's house, I'll, I'll get fed. And so he decides to go up and go back to his father's house. And on his way there, he's beginning to think and talk to himself and say, well, he's beginning to rehearse what he's going to say to his dad. He's like, well, dad, dad, I've sinned against you. No, no, it has to be greater than that. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Yeah. I've sinned against heaven and, and, and forgive me for I have like put dis, I've dishonored you and allow me to come back to the house, but not necessarily as a son, Bring me back as one of your hired servants. And so he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So he begins to walk home and he finally gets to his dad. And we all know the story. The dad throws out his arms and runs to his son, gives him a hug, puts a ring on his finger, puts shoes on his, on his uh, feet, puts a robe on him and says, welcome back home. And then we have this party that ensues, right? Do we all know? Do you remember this? The party ensues because the father said, hey, let's celebrate my son. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. For the son who was once dead is now alive. He was lost and, is now have, and has now been found. We all know the story, right? Here's the crazy thing. 
In that story, they kill a fatted calf. How many of you guys know the fatted calf is the one that was dedicated for the remission of sins during the time of the atonement? So just to break that down really quickly, back before there was, there was Jesus on the cross, the way that you were forgiven, so, so, so to speak, or atoned or pushed back your, um, the wages of sin. So basically the punishment for sin is you would go up to the altar, you would give a fatted calf on behalf of your entire family because blood had to be shed for a sacrifice, right? And so they give the fatted calf the best that they had to offer and they killed that calf. And then depending on how, uh, the, again, I'm not going to go down to the procedure, but then they were atoned for their sins. Does that make sense? That calf, the fatted calf of a family would have been the one that goes on the altar for remission of sins. But it's the one that the father sacrifices to celebrate the son. That's, I'm not going to dive into that because that's theologically super deep. But the point is, something incredibly significant happened there. The father celebrated the son who was lost. And he spent even more money on the son who spent half of his already. How many of you guys know that when you read the scripture, again, we've probably read through this so many times where we're just like, ah, we've heard it. But this story, three parts of this one story make no absolute sense. It's completely illogical. But it's the way that Jesus began to answer the, or answer the question of the Pharisees. Saying, why do you get together with all these people? That makes, that, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. They're not cleaned up enough. They're not church people. They can't be God-following people. They can't. And so we have these three stories that are ultimately all just one. And here's how we break it down. There is something that is lost. Then there's a search. And then there's something that's found. And finally... There's a party. I believe that the church is set up to be that party. Matter of fact, I believe, and I would so propose to you, that we are supposed to be a church who functions in every single one of those four steps. Matter of fact, There's a story in Matthew chapter 9 that is very similar to this one. In Matthew chapter 9, you have Jesus sitting with sinners. Again, sitting with drunkards, sitting with prostitutes, sitting with pimps, sitting with the, uh, thieves, sitting with bad people, non-synagogue people. You have, you have them sitting there, sharing a meal with him with an open window, publicly saying, hey, I am in relationship with him in openness. And the Pharisees, again, were, were, were sitting around, sorry, we're walking around, they saw this happen, and then they ask Jesus' disciples and say, hey, why does your master sit with these people? They're not church people. They're not clean people. And so Jesus hears them, and then he says this. He says, for I didn't come for those who didn't need a doctor. I'm paraphrasing here. But he said, I've come for the sick. I've come for those that are broken. I've come to fix and save those that are lost. 
And listen, I know we're in church on a Sunday morning. You're like, Asaph, what are you doing talking about like, you know, this kind of message right now? And ultimately, here's what I feel. Can we be a church that dives into the four aspects of Jesus's ministry? When Jesus was asked this question, hey, listen, why? Why are you hanging out with these people? Why are you doing this this way? Listen, there was a certain way that the Pharisees operated under. There was a Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire said, listen, church, church of God, not the denomination, church, the one that God, the God's people have started, and the one that is so significant and powerful and supposed to be this huge thing. Hey, that church, you are to operate under the Roman Empire. And here is your strict paradigm for how you're supposed to operate. If you operate within this sphere, this square, then you're good. We allow you to operate here. Does that make sense? And so this, this system was cast. It, there was levels of, of honoring. There was levels of Respect, there was levels of tidiness. To, to be at this level, you had to be a certain type of person. Social structures, economic structures, religious structures. And so the church operated like this. And the reason the Pharisees grumbled and asked themselves this question is because when you come on this side, Jesus completely obliterated any kind of social caste, any kind of level, any kind of paradigm. Does that make sense to you? And so as Jesus was breaking all the rules, the Pharisees were like, no, 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 no. That's not the way you're supposed to do that, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The church that you're building isn't mine. The church that I'm building is characterized by me sitting with the lost openly and publicly just, uh, uh, you know, displaying the fact that I am in a relationship with these people consistently. And here's what I want to propose to you today. Can we be a church that looks more like Jesus' ministry than the Pharisees? Listen, legacy is in, I don't know if this is your first time or second time or third time, but we're in the middle of a lot of transition and it's good because it means that there's a growth and we're pumped for that. But in the middle of so much change, I want to be able to ask us the question, can we look like Jesus' ministry instead of the Pharisee, Pharisee, the Pharisee ministry? Can we? Do our social constructs, sorry, do our church dynamics, do our relational dynamics look more like Jesus or do they look more like the Pharisees? See, Jesus didn't actually care what his ministry looked like to other people. And I feel like church, if I can get straight up honest with you guys for just a second, I feel like church can sometimes feel like we're partying and we forgot the reason why we're partying. We, we can have a great time and you can come in on this awkward entrance, which I'm, I'm so sorry that that's like that. We're going to do renovations. We're going to flip the whole thing. So you're going to come in from the back. Okay. But uh, you can come in and you can be like, Hey, what's up, man? Or, hey, what's up, this person? Hey, what's up, this person? Hey, yo, like, how's it going? Good to see you again and again and again and again. And we're seeing all the same people. And you're in your, in your mind, I have to think to myself and challenge this idea. Like, why are we doing this? 
What's the reason? Have we lost touch with the lostness? Have we lost touch with, with that feeling of, of, of Christmas Eve, the, the time I have the party, when I come home, or when I come to this party, come home and I'm feeling the celebration, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. King David said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And you know why I think that was probably one of the most wisest prayers you could ever pray? It's because when joy is restored to him, because of his salvation, the funny thing is, again, we're not going to dive into that, but return to me the joy of my salvation. Because when you can see the joy of your salvation, then you begin to realize that your salvation isn't only for you. You then can begin to see, you can come into a home and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. And then you can come to the realization that, wasn't, wouldn't this be awesome if everyone had this feeling of coming home? The church exists to seek the lost and then all this, like to jump into the search to ultimately find people and throw the biggest party, kill the fattest calf, call all your friends and be like, let's party together. If I can be so bold, sometimes church looks the same across every city, every state, every country, we all kind of look the same sometimes. Can I challenge you to actually believe for us to be looking more like the church of Jesus Christ that sits with sinners consistently? I would ask you to check your relationship circles. Has it grown at all? Can someone, can you make space at your table for someone else that doesn't look like you? Have we gotten too comfortable with our surroundings. Listen, church doesn't happen on a Sunday morning necessarily. Church happens every single day. Are you having church with the right people? Have we partied so much and celebrated the loss that we forgot while we're partying? Sunday morning is a party. It's a celebration. This is our proverbial party. If I could put it this way, Jesus answers the Pharisees and says, listen, the reason my people, the ones that surround me, don't look like yours is because I'm building a church that doesn't care what the outside world thinks. Can I be so bold to say, what if, what if people were to come in, like, I want it so badly. I know I could speak for, for Pastor Lyle when I say this. I want so badly people to come to our church and be like, that, those people don't look like church people. And I recognize there's things that we need to address. There are things that are very important that we need to go after as a church, bring maturity to the body of Christ. I get that. But let's not lose the reason why the church exists in the first place. It's to build a home for the lost. See, every time that Jesus was describing the parables, he was talking about his church. He was talking about this is what church 
is supposed to look like. The greatest question in the New Testament, scholars would, I, I, scholars would agree, the greatest question in the, Old Te- in the New Testament is, who belongs in God's family? Who? You consistently have Jesus fighting off, the, not even fighting off, because that seems like it was a struggle, but consistently re- re- rebu- like, um, re- I guess rebuking and, and, and rebuttaling and having this dialogue and this discourse with Pharisees and those around him saying, no, 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 the people who you've outcasted, those are the people that are meant to be in the synagogue. Jesus' answer to who belongs in God's family will consistently be everybody. Can we party to the point that it beckons people to come home? Can we actually have people belong before they've believed the same thing? You know, I I got up here and I used to say this all the time and I still do. I just don't want to wear it out because I wanted to have its value and power, right? I always used to say, you believe, sorry, you belong before you believed. You don't have to believe the same thing to belong right here. Why? Because we're all on a journey together. And the funny thing is that you can have people who are like, I'm not even sure that's theologically true, Asif. I'm not sure that actually makes sense. We got to check the Bible for that one. I'll tell you right now, folks, we've checked the Bible. And all I could see is Jesus consistently, consistently making people feel at home before they've ever believed in the same thing he did. In Matthew chapter 9, I missed something. The Bible says that he sat down with sinners. And the Bible says this, he reclined. What does that mean? He didn't just sit upright and making sure. How many of you guys know when you sit, like when you're nervous or when you're afraid of what what people think or you're trying to keep to yourself, you're just kind of like. The Bible says Jesus sat back and reclined. What does that mean? He was able to he was able to relax and be at home in the middle of people who you wouldn't consider family members. Folks. He was able to relax. And you know what happens when you relax? Other people are able to as well. Jesus had an innate ability to make people feel at home, wherever he was. Do we make people who maybe don't look like they are our brothers and sisters feel at home? Do we look like Jesus or do we look like someone else building a different kind of church that maybe Jesus didn't come here to establish? go ahead and stand actually. It's 1230. And you know, the language, 
the language I'm using, being lost and being found, you can either find yourself on one side of the token or the other. It's like, no, well, I'm, I'm the found one in this story. Or you can say, well, actually, I feel kind of like the lost one. And I just wanted to unanimously say that we're all, we've all been found, all of us. But we're also still maybe journeying through life where we don't necessarily feel like we've got it all together. And I just wanna let you know that this house, this home is a place where you can actually be in the middle of the I don't know season and still feel at home. This could be the, one of the most cliche things ever, but listen, this house is a house of people who maybe don't always know what the heck is going on. Can I be so bold to say that? But as a church, can we respond to what's happening around us, to maybe the bad people with empathy first and opinion second. The church is known for a lot of opinions, a lot of what we don't stand, a lot of what we don't want to hear, a lot of what is right and what is wrong. How many of you guys know Jesus made people feel like they belong first before anything even happened? How many of you guys know that when Zacchaeus had dinner with Jesus, he went to the table and he chatted with him and all of a sudden Zacchaeus, without prompting, without having to walk through a, a prayer circle or a fire tunnel, he stood up and said, I have met grace and now all of a sudden that everything that I've ever stolen as a tax collector, I will give everything back four times as much because I've seen grace in the face. That's the power of grace. The Bible says it's kindness that leads people to repentance. That's what makes a change. It's not your opinion. I think as believers, we have to begin to care more about the person than the sin and be able to say, my opinion is going to take the backseat to my empathy. We have to come face to face and we have to come to the ground level and say, you know what? I was lost. As a matter of fact, if you're even that woke and awake, you can actually say, I'm still kind of lost. So I'm with you. Let's never take the position of, yeah, well, just come to church, man. Can we come down and have dinner with them and publicly display, hey, listen, we are in a relationship with one another. And my table is a place for you, even if you don't look like my family. Is that okay, church? Let's pray. Is that all right? Listen, I don't know if, <clears throat> if this is your first time here or maybe you identify um, in one or two ways. Either you feel lost or, or maybe you need to repent because you're too found. <laughs> if you're any one of those people, I wanna pray for you this morning, or this afternoon, 12.35. And if that's you, can you raise your hand for just a second? count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and if, if you want to make a prayer with me, 
and say, hey, Jesus, I want you to actually be my shepherd. I want, I want to come home to the party. And then we're going to pray together. And if not, it's okay. So on the count of three, just raise your hand. I level with you. I'm lost. Or I'm feeling a little bit confused in this season or however that looks like for you. Or Jesus, I need to, I need to have a come to Jesus moment and actually say, you know what? I'm actually, I need to be, look more like Jesus. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I see you. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you. You can actually repeat after me. Let's, let's do this together as we are all part of this celebration and party and family. Father, thank you for, for you know, sending out the search party to find me and ultimately throw a party. But God, never allow myself to become too familiar with the party and lose sight of the lost. Father, thank you so much for this afternoon. God, thank you for this church. God, we bless every single person in this house. Father, may they find satisfaction and peace in your love. And may they be challenged and encouraged and motivated to seek you and to seek the lost and to look more like Jesus than anything else. May we refuse to be under the intimidation of anyone else's opinion. And thank you, Jesus, that we all are tied together and our common denominator is we are found in you. And even the people who don't necessarily feel found yet, God, I pray right now that you remind them that you are in fact the shepherd. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. Let's give, a, let's give an actually a bigger amen. Is that all right? One, two, three. Amen. There you go. Jesus, love you guys. Come on, let's give it.